Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Now Gordon's Molly Sutton mystery series set in a small French village reflects her dream life. And if she can't inhabit it in the real world, like her readers, she can live in it through her books. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Nell talks about what is so special about French life and why indie publishing is the only way to go as far as she's concerned. But before we talk to now, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Nell's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Nell. Hello there, Nell, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, I've really been enjoying your Molly Sutton series. So tell me, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you wanted to write fiction? And if there was, was there some sort of catalyst for it? I'm one of those people who wanted to be a writer from the minute I even had any idea that that grownups had jobs. I just wanted to be a writer right from the beginning. So I, as a small child, would tuck a little notebook in my pocket and wander around the neighborhood and peer in people's windows. And the neighbors, you know, would smile and wave at me and invite me in for for lemonade or something, which was not what I wanted because I was spying on them and I was trying to find out, you know, the behind the scenes story. Um, I was a big reader from early on and and really, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I've done other jobs, lots of other jobs, taught for a long time, and I liked being a teacher, but writing is really... I love the picture of you as a little girl poking around in the neighborhood. That's quite funny, isn't it? <laughs> You're either going to be a writer or a great investigative journalist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And so then why did you choose the mystery genre and the mystery genre set in a small French village? I chose the mystery genre because... I loved mysteries from from when I was very young. I started reading Trixie Belden and Nancy Drew, and I loved them. I, I was reading, and really, when you're at a certain age, mysteries is most of what's on offer. And But when I got to Agatha Christie, those really blew me away. And I think one of the reasons I liked them so much was that I, you know, I was an American kid, but I was getting to go to a different country while we, we, I was solving those mysteries. I was getting to go to little English villages that I'd never seen before in my life, and it was a fascinating world to me. And so when I went to write my own mystery, I thought, well, how can I, how can I do the same thing? I, I, will give some, I will open up a different world to people. And also, as an aside, I love France so much, so I get to write and I get to imagine myself living in this village, so it's it's gives me a lot of pleasure. That's fantastic. Now, I know that you've you've made it clear in many places that you have a passion for France. When did you first fall in love with all things French? How did that come about? When I was 11, 
my mom took the family to Europe for the summer. So we had never been before. She had never been before. So my father had to stay behind and work for most of the trip, but he joined us at a certain point. But the the minute I got, we went, we stopped in Italy first and Italy, I was gobsmacked by how fantastic Italy was. And when we got to France, it was the same thing. I, I felt in some weird, I don't want to sound too mystical about it, but I felt even at 11 years old, like I had come where I belonged. I thought the food was unbelievable. I just had never eaten anything like that. I thought, I thought everything was really beautiful. I loved the cathedrals. I just loved everything about it. And it seemed to me that my life back in Richmond, Virginia was the most humdrum and boring thing. I just really wanted to be in France. So I, I tried to get back as much as I could. Fantastic. And just as a little aside, do you have any, any hint that there might have been some French ancestry in your yes. past family? Um, it's pretty far back. The Gardens were the Godin from France, they uh, moved to England, mm -hmm. I think quite a long time ago, and then to America early on. So, but I, and I don't really know, most of the parts of my ancestry that I know better are different branches of the family, but I do know there was that one thread that came from France originally. Do you think they were probably Huguenots? Maybe. <sighs> yeah. That may be. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the French that left France were driven out by religious persecution. I mean, I don't think French people often voluntarily leave their their homeland. They've got quite a passion for their homeland, haven't they? Indeed. And, and a lot of that was happening in that same region of, of France where I where I lived for a year. Yeah. You know, down in, the, in Aquitaine. Yes, yes. So you're now up to number nine in your Molly Sutton series. And just for those who haven't perhaps found the books yet, Molly is a recently divorced American who's living in a small French village and operating a gîte. So this is your heroine. Did you start with a series in mind? Definitely did, yes. Um, I was planning to self-publish these books all along. And so I was joining Facebook groups with other writers and everybody was talking about the best way to do this. And people said, mystery readers love a series. They love, love, love a series. And I thought, well, that seems like a good thing for a writer too, because you get to get so much deeper into the world. You know, it, it, if you do a standalone book, you're in and out and you don't really get the same kind of depth, I don't think. You don't get to know the characters as well because mm -hmm. you just mm -hmm. aren't spending as much time mm -hmm. with them. So... I I first thought it would be a nine-book series, but then when I got a little ways into it, I thought, well, it's really going to be longer than that, and now I, I don't really know how long it's going to be. <laughs> I have, you know, I have plans for, for, for what happens in future books, but those plans are pretty vague. A couple of big things, but I, I don't really know how long it will go. Sure. Have you have you got thoughts of any other series or any other book? Well, I I am thinking of doing another series. Um, it, it is help. It's helpful to take breaks from doing Molly. You know, I did a bunch of them quickly in the beginning, and then it helps me if I can like do other things and then come back to it. I'm trying to figure out. You know, I I would like to make this other world someplace that that I'm really interested in and someplace I can get my readers really interested in. 
I haven't really quite decided. I'm one thing I'm considering is doing something set in the Middle Ages. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I'm a little nervous about all the research. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm doing it, but will I be able? You know, because you have to really feel like you're living in that time. Yeah, it's not just good enough to just pick up a couple of details and throw them in. You have to really be able to imagine yourself there. I think that would be really fun to do, but I'm not altogether positive I can pull it off, but I might try. Sure, sure. Getting back to Molly, obviously having lived in a French village yourself, you you did that. You immersed yourself in the world you were writing about. What is it about French village life that's so appealing, both to you and to readers? That is a good question. Well, one of the things that, that really struck me in the year that we were living in this little village was how accepting people were. There was not the same, you know, the the United States can sometimes feel like the most competitive, rushed place. Mm -hmm. Like everybody is trying to get, they need to be improving themselves and they need to be winning at something. And, you know, there's a lot of that kind of pressure. And I don't even, I don't live in a big city, but it's still like that. In that little French village, it was not like that at all. People were, they wanted to spend time with each other. They wanted to spend a lot of time talking. They, they, like I said, were really accepting. So if somebody was a little bit quirky or a little bit odd, that was just part of their charm. You know, it wasn't something to be like whispering about them. I, I thought, I thought it was a very welcoming, I thought it was very welcoming and, and very interesting that way. Yes. Yeah. You know, just for as an example, since I had children then, in the United States, if somebody was bringing their children over to play with my children, they would like pretty much just pull up the car, throw the kid out and go. Pretty much. But in France, you would never do that. You would come in, you would have coffee together, you would talk about all kinds of things. You know, it was everything was slow in the best sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope I get that across a little bit in my books, too. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few things about Molly that one senses are you. And and I've read somewhere that you said your dream would be to operate a gite. Um, How much of you is there in Molly? Um, Probably a lot. But I I would also have to say that I'm in all of the characters, even the really terrible ones, you know. So she... You know, she's living a life that I think would be really dreamy. I, I think having a Jeep business like that would be so much fun to have new people coming in all the time and interesting stories. And, you know, you can sit and share a glass of wine with them. And um, I think that would be fun. And it would probably be fun to be solving murders, too, <laughs> especially if you had a, you know, nice, hot partner to do it with. <laughs> That's right. But I did see mentioned that you also started on a standalone crime slash suspense novel. Have you got as far with that as you'd hoped? Is it still a work in progress? I published it. Oh, sorry. I I, I haven't seen it. No, it's okay. It's not under my name. It's under Cornelia Godden instead of Nell Godden. And the reason for that is it's, it's quite a lot different from Molly Sutton. It's dark. The people in it are awful. They're not, you know, Molly is on the lighter side and, and I think on the warmer side, this other book is, 
is not like that. Yeah. And so I didn't want a lot of my readers like those qualities of Molly. They would not like some of them like both, but not everybody. So I just didn't want I wanted things to be a little bit clear. Sure. Yeah. And so you'd consider Molly to be a cozy mystery series, would you? I guess it's you know the 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 genre is a little bit complicated now because there there's there are so many different kinds. So there are cozy mysteries that are quite a bit lighter than Molly. You know the ones that have cartoons on the cover. Yeah. Those aren't really so much like Molly, but Molly is not really like crime books either because it's it is light. So it's just somewhere on the spectrum in there. That's right, and I think it does have that aspect that a lot of cozies do of having a defined world, often a small town or a, a, a very much a defined world. People like to inhabit that world in every book, don't they? Yes, I think they definitely do. Mm. Look, turning from specific books to take a slightly wider look at your career, you, you mentioned at the beginning that you've done a lot of different things and they include things like being a radio reporter, a, a teacher, as you mentioned, a short order omelette chef. I wonder if that was in France. <laughs> <laughs> and you also tried waitressing and was fired twice. I like that yeah. bit. Um, yeah. How did these previous, this previous very varied experience help with your writing? Well, anytime you get experience doing anything, it helps with writing. And so I know what it's like to work in a restaurant, even though I was terrible at it. And I know what it's like to work in an office. And I know what it's like to be a reporter. I mean, I didn't get into any of these things very deeply, but I did it enough so that I have an idea of how it works. Writers, they have sort of a congenital wish to just stay inside and read books and r work on their things. But really, the more they get out in the world, the better, because then you have more more things you can write about. Sure. So it's all of that work experience happened when I was pretty young. Uh, I settled into teaching and did that for, for really a long time. Um, but it's too bad in a way because I'm sure if I had had a lot of other jobs, that would really give more depth to my writing as well. It sounds like you had a very um, sharp and business-like grasp of the publishing industry when you when you went into writing, that you already had quite a strong platform to, to move from. And that's probably an advantage of, of doing that wide range of jobs and particularly mm -hmm. perhaps being a reporter. Yes. And I also went to graduate school for fiction writing. So I had a lot of writing experience. I had written a lot of stories. I had written a couple of novels that, you know, never saw the light of day, blessedly. So I had, I had done a lot of practice. You'd done your apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, if your readers were going to go on a French holiday and wanted to discover Molly Sutton country, where would you suggest they go? I would say Bergerac would probably be the best place. So that is in the Dordogne. Um, I mention it in my books every once in a while. It's Castillac is made up, but I mentioned Bergerac and I mentioned Perigueux, which is straight north of Bergerac. You know, it's a small city. It's, it's quite lovely. If, you're, if you like wine, there's plenty of wine around there. There's the best food, just all the food that I write about constantly because <laughs> it was so good. The duck is so good and the truffles and just, oh. and the thing that I really love is you can do something like go into a truck stop on the highway and get a four course meal that is delicious, really, really good. I can tell you in America that is not the case. <laughs> if you try to buy a meal in a truck stop, it will not generally be very good. 
it has this passion actually influenced your own kitchen activities? Are you a keen cook as well? I do do a lot of cooking. I do. You know, sometimes I get busy and I don't do as much as I as I really want to, or I do that thing where you know if if my children are out and I'm just home by myself, it's harder to get motivated to really make something, and I'll. I'll be like standing at the counter eating cheese or something. Yeah. So I do quite like to And cook. do you cook French Very, a lot? Um, yes, I do. You know, I've sort of learned how to make sauces and, and definitely I make a lot of omelets because that's so easy. Yeah. And that there's a particular salad dressing that anybody who has been to France knows what that flavor is because they, if you order a salad in a restaurant, it will always be, it's a sort of, very vinegary, mustardy dressing. So I, I figured that out too. So I eat that all the time too. So I'm pretending to be in France. <laughs> That's lovely. Look, it's sometimes said writers tend to write the same story in different guises. I, I don't know. Do you, would you agree with that statement first up? And then secondly, have you discovered what that story would be for you? I think that's often true of writers. It's often that there's something in them, some thought or some event or some something that they're working over in their minds and it keeps coming up in their stories. And I think for me, it's this idea that behind the surface of people, there's something else. People have like a secret life. And sometimes that secret life is a perfectly harmless nothing you know that they're obsessed about something and they keep that private and they don't talk about it but sometimes it's something darker and violent so I, I think what I write about a lot and think about a lot is what's behind the surface I think that's when you know when I was the little kid running around my neighborhood peeking in people's windows it was like okay I wanted to see what people were really doing not when you you know they invite company over and everybody's being polite, but what are they doing when they're by themselves? Yeah, that sounds fascinating. I didn't ever see anything the least bit interesting, <laughs> I will tell you, but I was so hoping I would find something. That sounds just, <laughs> it does sound amazing. It links back very well with the little girl who peeped in windows, doesn't it? Yeah. Look, the series is called The Joys of Binge Reading because it's kind of based a little bit on the idea that our world is very much a series world these days. And I think actually it's partly because of that rushed lifestyle that we don't quite feel we've got the time to just sit back and savor a story. So when we find a series we like, it's kind of, it's a little bit around the idea of if I'm going to invest my time in this, I want there to be plenty more to read. So it's been worthwhile. You know, if I'm going to give it my initial attention, I want it to be able to continue as a a pleasurable experience if I enjoy it. So I imagine you have been a binge reader all your life. Who would you be binge reading now and who are some of your favorites? Right now I'm I'm just starting to reread some Anton First books. Or no, sorry, it's Alan First. I don't know if you do you know his work? Yes, I do. The Second World War. Yes. Isn't it British British writer? I love that time period so much. I wish that I could have those research skills to be able to write about that time because I think you know people were tested so dramatically then you know they they were maybe living in some little village 
living this very everyday sort of life. And then all of a sudden the Nazis are in there and they've got to decide, are they going to hide the little child or not? Yeah. You know, it, they, they had like big, big moments they had to deal with and make decisions about. And I think all of us who weren't there wonder, you know, we don't really know what we might've done. I think it would be a fascinating time to write about. Yes. But like, I'm a little scared. I, I don't think I could really do it justice. Mm -hmm. Another um, writer that I really, really love, who I think has written one of the best series in the world, is Patrick O'Brien. He wrote um, a series of, you know, this is not going to sound that great, but they're Napoleonic sea tales. So my, my older brother told me about him. And when he said Napoleonic sea tales, I said, well, that doesn't really sound I mean, like maybe if I were a 12 year old boy, that would be good. doesn't really sound that great, but it is really great. It is really great. So it's like these sailors in the British Navy and they, they go all over the world. They have all these adventures and there are, I think 22 books in the series. So you get to know everybody very, very well. I've read that series, I think, two or three times, and I'm sure I will keep going back to it. Gosh, that's amazing. I think that I have heard of him. When you mentioned his name, I immediately thought naval stories. Mm -hmm. But I have the same reaction that you did. It, probably not my cup of tea. So Right. Well, uh, if you, you do have to get to the second book because the first book is sort of an adventure tale and it has like an exciting chase in the sea with big ships. And you're sort of like, okay, well, that was fine. But when you get into the second book, that's when he starts to really develop relationships. Well, really, it's when the women come in. Uh -huh. It's not just a manly thing. Um, it just gets, it gets so good. And he is so amazing at writing the most lovable characters. You really, you just will fall for him. Fantastic. So they're quite, they're both really well-established authors. Is there any one in the newer published that, that's taken your notice? Um, I, not off the top of my head. I think there are, but I'm just not thinking of them. Sure, sure. Do you, do you have much to do with writer organisations? Have you been a member of the mystery groups and those sorts of things? Are you you into that? I'm a member. I'm a member of NINC, which is Novelists Incorporated, uh -huh. um, and we have a big conference in Florida at the end of this month, actually. It's very exciting. So I go down on Wednesday and stay all the way till Sunday. It's really, really fun. We do a lot of carousing and a lot of hard work, yeah. you know, going to various lectures on things and that's a wide genre um, group is it all, all genres it's all genres there's a lot of romance there because romance is so big but there are plenty of mystery writers there as well yeah yeah that's fantastic that the really successful writers are are always ready to help with the ones coming along which is which is really lovely you mentioned at the beginning about self-publishing so did you get did you embark on self-publishing is that what you've done. Yes, which was a great decision, I think. Yeah. Um, traditional publishing is too slow. Uh, and honestly, I can make a living now because I'm self-publishing. If I were traditionally published, I would never be able to make a living. I would have to have a second job. And then I would, you know, it would be so slow getting the books out if I was having to work a different job at the same time. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. it is a lot of work, figuring out how to market things and format them and do all that stuff. But it's, it's sort of fun and I can do it in my pajamas. So that's pretty good. <laughs>
So at this stage in your career, if you were setting up all over again, what, if anything, would you do differently? Uh, that is a very good question. I think I would, with the very first book, not hurry so much. I was a little bit so smitten with this self-publishing idea that I get to pull the trigger whenever I want, that I'm in control of everything, that I wrote the book, I gave it to people to read, I got an editor to look it over, and then I just rushed it out mm -hmm. and started writing the next book. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, you know, I think most people will agree that my, my mystery writing improves as I go along. The first book, the mystery part of it, is not as strong as I think it gets later. And I think if I had just been a little bit more patient, you know, like let it sit for two weeks and then come back, I could have, I could have made that a better book. Sure, sure, yeah. So what is next for Nell the writer? You've mentioned a little bit of that, but what's your work in progress at the moment? Well, I just had a terrible failure. <laughs> I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a, a long book that I... I was trying to use this particular structure, you know, and, and plan it out in advance. Turns out that is not a good fit for me because when I got to the end of the book, it really just didn't work. It just, and I couldn't really tell as I was doing it. I put it aside and then I reread it and I was like, oh no, this isn't. It may be that I can take it apart and throw the bad parts out and make it into something else. Um, and I really subscribe to the idea that even your failures are helpful. So I think I learned things. For one thing, don't get too excited about outlines. I need to just let things flow a little bit more easily than that. And outlines just deaden everything for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the, the next, I'm in the middle of Molly 9 right now. That's going really well. Good. Excited about that. Um, <laughs> And I think I'm going to be writing Molly 10 right after Molly 9. So mm -hmm. that book shouldn't be too long either. Right. Uh, and then after that, I might give the medieval mystery a try and see how that goes. Oh, fantastic. And do you get back to France every year? No, unfortunately. Uh, last year I went twice. It just sort of worked out that way. Yeah. This year I haven't been at all, and I don't, I don't really know when I'm going next, but I'm starting to think about it. And the medieval mystery, would that be set in France? I think it would be. Mm -hmm. I sort of thought, well, maybe I should try going someplace else, but I don't like I've, – I've been to England, but I don't know it the same way at all. And so it pr probably just makes sense for me to do it in France. Plus I get the excuse of getting to go and do research in person. Yeah, yeah. Um, coming to an end, we're, we're sort of running out of time now, but where can readers find you online? And do you like to engage with your readers? I do like to. Um, and probably the best place is on Facebook. I have a Nell Godden author Facebook page. That's probably the best place to get me. Great. Yeah. And, and you'll just, they can ask you a question there and you'll get a chance yes. to reply. Yeah, that's the best place. Okay. Well, look, that's fantastic. We'll look forward to more Mollies and maybe a mystery a medieval mystery coming up and it's been wonderful to talk to you thank you so much jenny thanks now bye bye thanks for listening to the joys of binge reading podcast you can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com we'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next 
And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.